Well, hi, welcome. I hope you have your coffee and your Bible and your attitude all ready to meet with God this morning. Uh, we have kind of a different service lined up for you. We've got a lot going on. We're going to kick off with some uh, like announcements from Ken Russell and from Darcy and Leanne McAllister, uh, some global workers we support, uh, and then dive into worship and the word. Uh, but before we do that, I also have an announcement. Um, you know, it's the time of year where we kind of celebrate giving and getting together and all of those things. Uh, but it's also a season where people find themselves in need. And so we as a church and, you know, leadership team just wanted to make you aware that we do have a benevolence ministry. And so if you or someone you know is in a position of need, uh, please reach out to us. We want to help you. We can help you. Um, and on the flip side of that, if you are in a position where you're looking for ways to give and you're looking for ways to support people within your local church and your local community, uh, we would love for you to partner with us. And so uh, you can give towards our benevolent ministry just like you always do, uh, whether online or by check, uh, that sort of thing. You just have to write in the comments what it's for. But um, yeah, we really just want to make sure that no one is not taken care of in this season. So... Uh, let's pray, and then we'll get into everything. God, we thank you that you are uh, generous towards us. We thank you that in this season where we often give towards one another as an expression of love or thankfulness, uh, God, we do it because you gave us the greatest gift first. God, you gave us love, and you gave us uh, Jesus, your only son, so that we could be in relationship with you. And so help us to keep our minds on that. Why? Why we give? And uh, yeah, help us to be generous. And Lord, just this morning, would you bless our service and would you meet with each one of us in a personal and powerful way? Amen. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm Ken Russell. I have the privilege of serving you as your district pastor. And I want to start off by saying thank you so much for the wonderful way in which you have treated Pastor Rich and Noreen for their ministry and their tenure in Prince George. And now as we see them conclude their ministry, we are now in a, a place of transition. So I have some good news to report to you. I've met with your board, with Pastor Tiffany, and we've kind of walked through a process together of what it might look like over the next few months. The good news is, uh, you are now in a state where the board has uh, extended an invitation to an interim pastor. And I'm delighted to announce to you today that Pastor Ralph and Carrie Peters from the Okanagan, South Okanagan, have accepted our invitation. They are going to be relocating to Prince George in January, and they will begin to provide pastoral coverage, pastoral leadership for the church through the months where we engage a transition process. During those months, uh, the board and I or uh, one of our associate uh, superintendents will work with them in finding candidates, establishing profiles, walking through a journey of discernment. I've always said pastoral selection is not a hiring process. It's a discernment process through which you as a congregation and the candidates who are out there potentially can discern together what the Lord would want for Prince George and for this, the community that gathers as the church. So we'll work together on that. Now, the other thing that you should know is that uh, Pastor Tiffany will be providing consistent leadership, 
the board will be working together with myself and Pastor Ralph eventually to continue the business of the church. And uh, Steve has stepped up in such a great way. He is going to be the co-chair or vice chair of the board in the gap. So he and I will be in good communication and we'll move the church forward. So thank you so much for hanging in there. The future is bright. God is in control. He's going to provide for us a new lead pastor. And I would call you to a place of prayer and fasting if you can. Fasting doesn't mean meals all the time or food, especially if you have health care, uh, health conditions. Fasting can be something that you deny yourself of so you can press in to the Lord and hear his voice. More than anything in this season, we need to hear God's voice. So please join me in prayer. And if you can fast, fast along with the team as we uh, discern together. God bless you. Thanks for your participation in these online services. Hey, it's Darcy and Leanne McAllister. As we send this video to you, we are in the middle of our sixth quarantine. Check out our hotel studio. It's pretty crazy. Um, but anyway, God is good. We actually just missed having a 21-day quarantine by 12 hours. The rules changed as we were leaving Canada. And we just feel really grateful that um, we only have to do 14 days. How crazy is that? Anyway. As we prepare for Christmas, we are reminded of John 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Mm. This is fulfillment of prophecy from Isaiah 9, verse 2, where it says the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Jesus brings light and life to our darkness. Amen. I'm so grateful. So no matter what you're facing today, allow the light of Jesus into your heart. Let his life impact yours. Um, you know, we noticed a few days ago as we were packing our things in Canada, that Christmas lights and trees were popping up much earlier than normal. I mean, people were putting their trees up in October. They're hungry for hope. They are longing for light. As you experience Jesus, reflect him to others. Mm -hmm. He came not just for you, yeah. but for the neighbors too. Amen. Thank you for your, your prayers, your partnership. We can't tell you how significant it is to be on mission with God together. Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas from Asia. Thanks everyone for joining us online for this presentation of God's Word. It's my privilege today to preach and teach on a subject that I think all of us can identify with. My text this morning is found in Psalm 73. I'll be focusing on the first 28 verses, but I won't read them all in, in, in their entirety. But what I would ask you to do after this message is over is to kind of read over that psalm and do a little study in it because you'll find it fascinating. It's a psalm that was written by David's choir director, Asaph. Uh, in fact, the, the psalms themselves are, are a compilation of about 150 um, writings that are prophetic, poetry, laments, confessions, uh, songs, uh, and they're written by a number of different authors. David is probably the largest contributor. I think about 73 psalms were written by David. But there are psalms of Moses and psalms of the sons of Korah, 
ASAF, other contributors all have put their work into this wonderful book of inspiration in the Bible. Now today's theme, my, my subject matter deals with making sense out of a senseless world. Many of us are hearing the news every night, we're thinking about what's happening in our world, there's been flooding in BC, there has been trauma, political tension, COVID-19, new variants emerging, restrictions, there's been financial collapse. If you're an investor like me, you'll realize that the, the uh, markets are very volatile. Uh, one threat of a variant sends everything into chaos and, and investors get all shocked. So we're living in turbulent times and we feel that, that uh, trying to make sense of this world is hardly possible. So we take you right back to Psalm 73 where Asaph, the choir director for, for uh, David, has a rant before God. And he writes this, this argument, this complaint before God. Now, I wish I could see you in person. I'd ask for a show of hands, but you know, if you were honest with yourself, your hand would be up if I asked this question. How many of you have ever complained to God or had a ranting session before God? I have. Uh, when we had our young family at home, my wife and I, we had two daughters. And uh, growing up in their, in their uh, younger years, they would always kind of bicker and complain with each other. They would fight. And, and one of the common phrases that would come up is, Dad, it's not fair. Carly got six Smarties and I only got four. Dad, it's not fair. Uh, Carly gets to play with the Barbies and I don't. One of the priceless moments in our summer vacation times was loading up our trailer with all of our, our summer belongings, uh, getting into our eight-passenger van, and my two daughters fighting over the seven available seats in our eight-passenger van. Inevitably, there was only one seat they couldn't have, which was the driver's seat, but they would fight over which seat they would get. I got so frustrated with, Dad, it's not fair. Carly sat there last time. Dad, it's not fair. Sydney sat there last time. Um, I one time put masking tape all the way up the middle of our van, and I said, you know, honey, you sit on that side of the van, and you sit on that side of the van, and until we get to the Oregon coast at Cannon Beach, no one says a word. You know, I was so frustrated with them. Because this whole idea of life's not fair hits kids, at younger ages, and even us as adults. How many of you have complained or grumbled about the weather? This summer, BC went through a heat dome, and we all complained and said, wow, this heat is unbearable. I wish we would cool off a little. I wish we'd have a little bit of rain. Then, here we are in November, and we've had record rainfalls. Rivers have overflown their, their banks and, and dikes have burst and mudslides have happened and people have been uh, stranded and, and there's been loss of life. And we say, I wish we'd have a little bit of sunshine. You know, this rain is unbearable. When it snows, we complain about the snow. When traffic is congested, we complain about that. Um, there's all kinds of things that, that we complain about because we're prone to grumbling. Traffic, government restrictions. I don't know if there's been a conversation I've had with anybody privately over a meal where COVID-19 hasn't come up. And we don't all agree on COVID-19. We complain. 
we think about uh, the restrictions differently and we grumble and we put forward our objections all the time. Well, here we find in Psalm 73, Asaph saying to God, God, life is not fair. Have you ever been passed over for a promotion or jilted by someone you love or marginalized by a neighbor or cut off in traffic? You've probably had the same rant. It's not fair. That person's wrong. I've been marginalized. Well, this injustice meltdown is where Asaph finds himself. Let's read the text together. Psalm 73, verse 1 to 3. Truly God is good to Israel and to those whose hearts are pure. Pause for a moment, because Asaph changes his mind halfway through this sentence. He says to God in this psalm, But as for me, I came so close to the edge of the cliff. What cliff was he talking about? I think he was talking about an emotional, spiritual cliff where he found himself slipping into depression, anxiety, fear, anger, frustration, all of those things. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone, he says, for I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. Asaph was saying, God, it's not fair. Life's not fair. I envied the wicked because their life seemed better than mine. They had something that I, have, I did not have, and it didn't seem fair. Let's drop down to verse 12 of Psalm 73. Look at these arrogant people, Asaph says, enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. Was it for nothing that I kept my heart pure and myself from doing wrong? All I get, now I get a little bit, uh, you know, curious when people use the word always or never. Uh, when extremes are used in language, it kind of reveals the frustration of a person's heart. Brenda and I have been married for 30 years, and, you know, there are times when she gets frustrated with me and she goes, you always leave your socks beside the bed. Would it kill you to put your socks in the laundry hamper? You know, always. Or you never do this. You know, I've probably been guilty of using that word to, in our marriage. You never do this, or you always do that. All I get is trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. Asaph is saying, compared to other people who seem to have life easy, I have life so terrible, and it's all about pain and what I don't have. Let's drop down from verse 12 to 14 to verse 16. This, I believe, is what I, I call the TSN turning point moment in Asaph's rant. Now, if you're a sports fanatic, you'll know what I just meant by a TSN turning point. It's that moment in a game. It can be baseball, hockey, football, whatever the sport is. It's that moment where a key penalty or a key goal or a key play is made and the game changes, the momentum of the game changes and a different outcome is had. This is it in the psalm, verse 16. So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper, but what a difficult task it is. This is the moment, TSN turning point. Then one day I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I thought about the destiny of the wicked. Verse 20. 
Their present life is only a dream that is gone when they awake. Now let me give you an illustration of what I mean by this TSN turning point. Asaph says he goes into the sanctuary, the mikdash, that's the original language, the mikdash of God's presence. Now, please note here in Psalm 73, he doesn't go to the temple. That's a different original word. He doesn't go to church. He doesn't go to an institution. He doesn't go into a counseling session. He goes into the mikdash, which is the presence of God, the sacred place of private worship. It's a space that is not physical. It's actually spiritual. What he says is, I got away from all of the realities of this world and all the things I could see with my eyes and hear with my ears, and I went into this space of worship, the mikdash presence of God, and I had a, a turning point. I went into the sanctuary of God and thought about the destiny of the wicked. Their present life is only a dream that is gone when they awaken. So let me unpack this for you in the next few minutes, and um, I will try and make this as brief as possible. What can we learn from Asaph's complaints and grievances? What can we learn from his rant? He says, um, life's not fair. Why do the wicked seem to prosper and the righteous seem to suffer? Why does wealth seem to just enlarge and increase so effortlessly when wicked people suffer financially? Why does it seem that immoral people escape the tragedy and misery that normal, healthy, well-adjusted believers, children of God, seem to, to face and suffer? Well, let me say this to you. The turning point moment was when he realized that what we would consider as the social media image that people portray is really synthetic. You know where I find this? I actually find it in verse 4 of the psalm. Key words. They seem to live. Notice that, that word. They seem to live. I actually highlighted it in my Bible. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong, they aren't troubled like other people or plagued with the problems like everyone else. The key word there is they seem to. Now let me illustrate this for you. No one on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all of the other TikTok videos, etc., would post a video of their worst moment. They would never post a video of their child in a soggy diaper with poo running down their legs, standing at the edge of a lake, crying with mud all over them. No, that's not the Gerber baby moment that everybody sees on Facebook or Instagram. That's the moment that, that you hide from. And that's why I think Asaph said, synthetic images of people, they seem to be living such a great life. The other day, I had a picture taken of me when the, the sun was setting behind me, and the person taking the picture actually posted it on my website and I, or on my Facebook, and I actually took it down because I thought, oh my goodness, I had no idea I have no hair on the top of my head. I look bald. You see, the lighting in that shot was not the optimal image that I would want everybody to see. I would like you to see 
my front and, and see I still have a few hair strands left up there. That's what I'd like everybody to see. And Asaph was saying, life seems unfair because all we sometimes see is the prosperity and the increase and the um, ease of people's lives. We don't see them struggling. This synthetic opulence caused Asaph to do two things. First, to begin envying. Envy is a terrible thing. Envy comes in when we start comparing our lives to other people. It's a normal human reaction, but it comes in so subtly, and envy leads to jealousy, and then jealousy is a downward spiral in which we get trapped. It actually is a negative um, uh, uh, cycle of our mental health. He says in verse 2, But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps were nearly uh, had slipped, I, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So he started envying. He started comparing his life. He became, became jealous. Jealousy took him further down this, this negative spiral. He became bitter. Verse 21. Resentment started oozing into his heart. It became the cancer of his soul. It started taking over all of his blessedness, all of his gratitude, his contentment. Envy led to jealousy. Jealousy led to bitterness. Bitterness began to steal and, and rob him of contentment and joy. When my heart, verse 21, was grieved and I was pierced within, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. That's what verse 21 says. He's ranting before God and he says, I cannot believe what this has done to me. Life's not fair. I can't make sense of this senseless world. And so my feet were slipping off the edge of the cliff and I started becoming envious and jealous and bitter and resentful and my contentment was all gone and no longer could I see reality. All I saw was this comparative model of what my life was like compared to somebody's synthetic image. What I could see, they seem to live such a painless life. It's not their reality. I have some friends who are very wealthy and very depressed. I have some friends who have large investments that are about to tank, and they have even contemplated suicide. But that's not the image that normal people see. They see them drive up in their BMW, or they see the large house with a bunch of lights on the outside, and they think, wow, I'd love to have that life. But that's synthetic. It's not real. Now, I want to take a little sidetrack here and just speak about our theology of suffering. You know, as Christians, we have sometimes developed a very bad theology of suffering. Our theology is something like what Asaph was going through. We would say that uh, earthly prosperity is a signal or a sign of God's favor, and adversity might be a sign of God's punishment. So in other words, we say, if I do just enough things right on this side of the ledger, do lots of right things and good things, noble things, then God will bless me on this side of the ledger. But if I do things terribly and, and I'm selfish and, and I forget to give generously or tithe, uh, I may fall into some sort of punishment. My car will break down, my health will fail, or something bad will happen to me. We, we tend to think that Prosperity and blessing are directly linked to our behaviors, and that's wrong 
theology. That's bad theology. It's actually uh, uh, not a good theology of suffering. Because consider Jesus. Jesus suffered, bled, and died, but yet remained sinless. He didn't do anything wrong. His life was pure and noble, sinless. He suffered for the sins of mankind. His life was filled with pain for the benefit of someone else. So a good theology of suffering would be something like this. Maybe my hardship and my suffering is not about me at all. Maybe my suffering is for the benefit of someone else. Or maybe my suffering is so that my faith can be perfected. My relationship with God can become stronger. Maybe suffering isn't linked with what I did right or wrong in life or how well I did. Maybe suffering is actually for my benefit because God's ways are higher than mine, Isaiah says. His thoughts are not my thoughts and his ways are not my ways. And so my suffering is not directly linked to my behavior. It's actually linked to something God is trying to accomplish both in my life and in the life of other people. That's a good philosophy of suffering. It's a good theology of suffering. So the first point I'm making is that the social media image, they seem to live lives that are free of pain, is not real. It's synthetic. The second point I'd like to make is that our human perspective is so shallow. It's superficial. Now, where do I get this from the psalm? I actually get it in verse 16. He says, Asaph says, and I bring this out of the New King James Version. He says, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. In other words, he's saying, I can't get my brain around this. It's too hard for me to figure this out. I can't seem to get a perspective on this that is deep enough. It's too shallow. Psalm 73, verse 21, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, he's saying, my perspective was based on my senses, what I could see, what I could hear, what I could smell, what I could taste, what I could touch. Um, that's the way I processed the prosperity of the, the wicked. But he said, that's too narrow. That's too superficial. That's too shallow. Because Asaph was making his judgments on an incomplete and restricted sensory perception. That doesn't work. Our human perception is often shaped by our three-dimensional world. We fail to discover the spiritual realm, the unseen realm, the invisible realm. Now, if we were in a church, in a room together, I would point out to you that there is things going on in that room that are spiritual. Perhaps there's a battle going on between angels and demons who want to occupy your attention and distract you from hearing God's word. That cry or that, that uh, cough distracts you from hearing what God really wants you to hear. That's sometimes the battle that goes on in the heavenlies, but we can't see that because all we can see is this three-dimensional world that our eyesight picks up. The Apostle Paul actually cautions the believers in Corinth to consider not only the earthly realm, but the spiritual realm, the spiritual dimension. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 
7 says, the trouble with you is that you make your decisions based on appearances. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 says, For him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Then he goes on to say, visible and invisible. You see, sometimes we only see the visible and we fail to recognize that all around us are invisible realities that we're not seeing. And this is where Asaph says, I get it. I actually get it. It's not about the visible realities that I'm noticing, the prosperity, the health, the seamless increase of wealth. It's about the invisible realities. Their life is only a dream. Their destiny is not this earth. Neither is ours. This is not our destination. This is only a journey. We're not settlers on this earth. We're just sojourners. So he says, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him. So there's purpose behind why we suffer. There's purpose for our blessings as well. Human perception is based on our sensory realities, and it's unreliable. That's what Asaph was saying. It's unreliable. It must involve the unseen realm. For example, Jesus is always involved in the affairs of his created ones. That's what Paul was saying in Colossians. Asaph realized this when he entered the sanctuary, the mikdash presence of God. He didn't go to church. He said, I got, my turning point moment was when I got into the presence of God and I encountered the Holy Spirit. I actually began to understand this when my mind connected and my soul connected with God. Because anytime I tried to figure this out in my uh, earthly mind, it was too painful. He realized that his earthly existence was just a blink, a dream. It wasn't permanent. So, what am I saying here? Number one, the social uh, media image is synthetic. It's not real. Two, our perception can be shallow and superficial. It's not real. We need to explore the spiritual dimension. And let me now close with this final point. Our heavenly existence, this is what, what um, uh, Asaph finds out. He says, our heavenly existence with God is certain. It's sure. It is real. Psalm 73, verse 21, right at the end of the psalm. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart and he is mine forever, forever. You see, in verse 28, he says, but as for me, how good is it to be near God? I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. I'm going to close with a story. I had the privilege of pastoring at Summerland Pentecostal Church for a number of years, and I had some amazing people in that congregation. One particular lady, she was elderly, and her name was Hilda Baumgart. She was from Germany. She was a, just a real prayer warrior and loved the Lord with all her heart and soul and mind and strength, and she was such a, a support to me as their pastor. Hilda became ill. She started battling cancer, and she came to the end of her life. And uh, I had the privilege of actually being with her in her, 
uh, hospital room and then on to hospice and palliative care. Oh, there's my timer. So I will conclude momentarily. Uh, as I'm in this room with Hilda Baumgart, she says to me, Pastor, I'd like you to do something at my funeral that might seem peculiar. I said, what is it, Hilda? You tell me and I'm here to fulfill your desires. She said, I wonder if at the end of the, um, the, the eulogy and the message, the end of the service, you might say to all of the people, please, ladies and gentlemen, hear the last words of Hilda. She wants you to keep her, sorry, she wants you to keep your forks. And I, I have to admit, I, I was kind of puzzled. I thought, what is she talking about? Keep your forks, knives and forks? What, what is she talking about? So I said to her, Hilda, could you just explain that to me? Uh, because I, I really, I mean, I need to tell the people why you said that. And she said, well, Pastor, I've been a member of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada all my life, born and raised in a church pew. I served diligently. I might have been to maybe a thousand or 5,000 potluck lunches and dinners in my time as a, as a Pentecostal believer. Inevitably, she said, at the end of every potluck meal or social gathering that had food, the pastor or the leader of that event would get up and say, ladies and gentlemen, please keep your forks for the best is yet to come. And it all started making sense to me. Hilda had discovered the key. Keep your forks, everyone, because the best is yet to come. This earth, this earthly existence, this life you and I are living is not the best it will ever be. The best is yet to come. When life seems to make no sense, when life seems unfair, when circumstances seem unjust, when tragedy seems unwarranted, and when conditions seem unreliable, please remember Hilda's words. Keep your forks. The best is yet to come. Asaph realized that there is no comparison between this earthly reward that he sees other people getting in wealth and prosperity and the eternal reward. And so I believe he would say to himself, would I rather have a mansion on earth or a room beside Jesus in heaven? Would I rather have the applause of man or the standing ovation of angels when I come through those pearly gates? Would I rather have a gold ring on my finger or walk on streets of gold? And Asaph's conclusion was this, eternity with God is far better than any wealth, fame, prosperity, or success in life on earth. So, how do we make sense of a life and a world that doesn't seem fair or, or sensible? Realize that sin has altered our earthly existence. Realize that God does not play favorites. The sun rises and sets on both the wicked and the righteous. Uh, realize that people's earthly prosperity is temporary and somewhat synthetic. Realize that people's human perception is unreliable. We're not seeing the spiritual realm. Realize that eternal life 
is our true reality and our eventual uh, destination and realize that being close to the heart of God is essential. Thanks for being with us today, and uh, let me pray as we close. Jesus, thank you for this moment we spent in God's Word. Thank you for helping us realize that there is a difference between our earthly realities and our eternal realities, and help us to experience what Asaph experienced in knowing that our destiny is certain, that you are going to return very soon, and that we will be with you forever. I encourage my brothers and sisters today not to compare their lives to the prosperity of the rich and the opulence of those that seem to live painless lives. Father, help us to realize that our suffering and some of the turmoil we find ourselves in is to perfect our faith and bring us nearer to you. So we just pray now a blessing upon the church and all those that are, that are part we ask, Lord, that you would help us to enjoy our Christmas celebrations and that we would enjoy our family and the joy of the season. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, everyone. Merry Christmas. I hope you enjoy the season ahead and uh, find fulfillment. God bless you. Well, I don't know about you, but I am grateful to Pastor Ken and just his word of encouragement. I think I needed to be reminded today that the best is still yet to come. And man, keep your fork. That's pretty funny. And it had me thinking about, uh, it's been a while since we've had like a, an event or a potluck, but if you have ever attended and you have had Esther Swanson's dessert, then you know it's true and you've got to keep your fork. But Lord bless you this week. Uh, look forward to meeting with you again next week and uh, yeah, be blessed. <laughs>